now that we press record, um, I'll introduce myself and yeah. I'm Harriet Hensley. Hello. Yeah. Are you all right, Harriet? So I want to talk about, so in this interview, we'll be talking to you about your dyspraxia as well as your Korean comedy and what type of comedy you do and stuff like that. So I just want to start by you telling you, tell, uh, explain about in your dyspraxia and how you got your diagnosis. Um, so I, since I was quite, my mum said that when I was younger, people had said that I might have dyspraxia, but she never told me. And then when I was like in my mid twenties, um, everything was just chaos. And my sister was watching Embarrassing Bodies. And then she said, Javier, I was watching Embarrassing Bodies last night. And I think you might have the thing that the woman had on it. And I was like, this sounds very concerning and also insulting. Um, and uh, she was like, it's this thing called dyspraxia. And they did this um, this test, like this clap test. And so I, she, she taught me the test. And so I had to do it. at the. T- we, we were having uh, lunch. And I did it at the table. And it went so badly that I, I knocked over a glass. And she was like, I think you got dyspraxia. And then um, my, my husband bought me a book about it. And I was reading it. And I just burst into tears. And I was like, oh, my God, this this makes so much sense. This feels like how I've lived for so long. And um, I ended up getting a private diagnosis, which is quite expensive. I think now it's like three times as much, like it's crazy. Um, So I feel lucky that I did that. But what I say to people that um, can't afford that is that basically, if you think you have it, you have it. Um, And having the diagnosis is a nice reassurance from somebody else. But you know yourself. And if you have those symptoms, other people don't. And they, they're just living their lives and they'd read something um, like listing the symptoms and they'd think. As you said, you know, like if you find out later in life, then as you say, you can work out for yourself. And then, you know, you know what I have it and you probably pay over to you before, before ever thinking of like getting diagnosed or self-diagnosing yourself. You probably worked out some ways of working, like what, what's best for you and how to like support yourself. And I guess yeah. by that age, you probably worked out different ways of supporting yourself and, you know, like ways of coping with having dyspraxia. I would say, though, that I hadn't. Um, at that point, learning about it and finding out about it, that was the point when my life changed massively because I really started to put things in place that really helped me. And these these like little tiny tools that mean that I just don't live in as much chaos as I used to so I think there are so many good books about it and like even the internet like has so many things that just if you just try and follow these things it can really make a difference. Uh, so what was the like tools and the box that when you were like uh, found out you were dyspraxic and got told as you said but your uh, sister there, you probably just toxic from her often bars and parties, and then Bobby begging you the book. So what was the thing? So you started to think that I could put in into like my daily life to make those things easier for yourself. I think having a routine is really helpful because if I don't, then I can just like procrastinate and just end up doing the like, and it's. And also having a place for everything, it sounds so obvious, but that is not how I lived. I would just spend so long finding things and doing things. And now like I've got into like a like a habit where I just have to put everything has a place. And then I save, I mean, literally an hour a day in not trying to find things. Just like all these things that just all these like things that would just come as second nature, I think, to other people. I've just yeah. had like I have a bowl by the door where I put my keys. So when I walk in, I put my keys down. And it's like I've had to really teach myself and force myself to do it. But it means I don't spend 20 minutes looking for keys and then you're running late and then you get flustered and then everything gets harder. Yeah, and some of the thing about being flustered, because I think when challenge I always find with being dyspraxic myself, it's the remembering things. I say, remember where you put things. I was like, for myself, I, like, I relate to being able to, like, be so forgetful. And, like, after, like, I say, taking my tablet, three more seconds later, my memory's that bad, that forget where you put, like, that I taken my tablet just then. Yeah. Or, you know, like, I always, like, trying to find 
maybe more to on my phone then even if I just put it down and finish me yeah. that or like even if it's visibly there. So I'll just say, you know, like I was diagnosed when it was like about six or seven and even at getting diagnosed that young, I'm still working out ways of coping with it and finding things because I still feel like living in the bit of a mess of trying to remember where I put things. Yeah. I find one thing that's really helped is I write literally every single thing in my phone calendar. So I, I know exactly what I'm doing. I put the time in, I put what I'm doing. And I, sometimes I even put like the time that I need to leave in order to get there. Because sometimes that can be a whole thing where you, you can't quite understand the concept of adding that in. Um, but yeah, like I think it, it it's so hard. And it's so hard. Like when I was younger, like I... I got banned from homework, which I thought was a really good thing at the time, but it was because I um, I just kept losing all the sheets and my teacher got so cross and she was like, Harriet, every week I print off these sheets and I give it to you and you come in the next week and you say, I don't know what happened to it. I've lost it. And so then it, but then it affects kind of your ability to, to work and to study and to learn and yeah. it affects your self-esteem as well, because you think, why can't I look after a sheet? Like it doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, so it does affect confidence because then you know, like if if you're not remembering to do so many different things, and I'd say that even if you got told you, uh, you know, you don't have to do homework because I'd say you, you keep on forgetting the the seats and maybe remembering to underwork, and then you know, like you guess lack the confidence and be able to trust it to you know bring the seats and bring things in on time and to all that stuff so I'll say that even though like it would probably easier than not for have the to think about doing homework then as saying it then does become a bit challenging of you know when you are that different to everyone else in the class and I guess when you didn't know you were dyspraxic then and get getting told that you didn't have to bring in homework I guess then you found out you felt like there was something different then from when you was just school age yeah and I think that it's just hard like feeling like I, I think this phrase comes up a lot with dyspraxia but like you're living in chaos and everyone yeah. else just seems to be able to function in a normal way and then you just think uh, you just and you arrive somewhere and you're just like you're all over the place and like it, you just feel and then I think the problem is once I this is why I try and live like so like carefully because once I get flustered it's like it's this knock-on effect where the whole day, Bobby calls them, my husband calls them my dyspraxic days, where just the whole thing can just go yeah. wrong because everything gets off and then you're just, you're on another planet. Yeah, because as you say that, when you're like, as you say, flustered and, you know, get a bit overwhelmed, then I guess you could get overstressed out about those kind of things that accumulating and then you can have the ladder on effect of things for today and I guess then you send a bit more stress or anxious, yeah. or then like your mood kind of dips on those days. Then, you know, before the, the time you were diagnosed and you know that you were dyspraxic, then you had a lot of days like that. And then a lot of days when you kind of had, if there's something on you, miss you kind of knew something about it, is it? So yes. you could make those things easier. And that's what's made it so much better knowing um, the last. I don't know how long it's been since I got diagnosed like maybe like six or seven years maybe it's like it's just made me like have like I think so often when you make mistakes your voice in your head can be so mean and it just makes you go you're so stupid like why can't you do this yeah. like, simple thing that everyone else is managing and then you'll get and then you'll get faster and then you'll spill something else and then you'll do this other thing and then it's just like you just feel so embarrassed in your own skin and I think knowing it it really has and like reading about it it has allowed me to have some compassion about it and also like lean into it and be like there are really brilliant things that come with having it and things like dyspraxics are so funny and like yeah. fun to be with and they take they don't take things in general they don't take things very seriously and they I think one of the things we're so good at is just making mistakes over and over and over again and just keeping on going and I think that's like really helped me in so many ways in my life. Like doing stand up, you you uh, you fail so often, and you have it's like can be humiliating when you say something you think is funny and people don't laugh. 
But because we're so used to embarrassment, it, it doesn't phase us. So we can do yeah. things that other people find much harder. It's the ability to be able to keep on trying then. Going back on, like, as you said, about when you were diagnosed. So what was like then when you're told to, like, your, your mother and your parents that so you're dyspraxic and write a family? You hinted early on in the podcast uh, interview that you was told before by people who, who knew that you probably were dyspraxic then. So what were your family's knowledge of dyspraxia and what do you find were the things that you found out from telling your family then and looking back at your childhood? I think um, I will say nobody that was close to me was surprised um I uh I think everyone was very as lucky everyone was very like sweet about it and I think I have always been good at laughing at it which I think a lot of dyspraxics are I mean sometimes you know it it, it can feel bad but I think they they all kind of shared their like stories of me like doing yeah. something like there was this time um apparently when I sat in the back of the car and I had an ice cream and I went to lift up one hand, but then got confused between my hands and lifted up my hand with the ice cream. And then they said there's a stain on the ceiling and there has like of the car, like just because I got my hands confused and it it got ice cream everywhere. And every meal, my mum was like, you would spill something. And she was like, it was it was so frustrating because I would get you all sat down and then you would spill yeah. a drink. And she um when I was younger, she like banned me from sitting on the sofa if I was I wasn't allowed in the living room if I was having a drink because I'd just spill it. And I think it helped in a way for everyone to have a a bit of compassion and think this isn't something I'm doing on purpose or I'm not being like lazy or um, or careless. This is just me, I guess. It's like with like drinks, I never had carpet and house, like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have carpet for yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does happen too often. And as you've seen that, you know, with with your parents, I guess then like I guess before you even diagnosed, then I guess they already noticed things that without knowing you were dyspraxic, they must know notice things where, you know, it was like part of who you are that you was may have maybe a bit more clumsy and me made more mistake mistakes practically then. Rather than you know, as you're saying, and that guess them already can have like an understanding and empathy. At least I made things easier for you when you were younger, and I guess that probably made you be more comfortable and seeing the funny side in things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I think it can be. I think people can be quite mean sometimes, and I think um, and and lack a kind of understanding and get frustrated with people with dyspraxia and I think you need to try and move away from those people you know like that was one good thing my husband was really good at like he was good at very being like uh compassionate about it and he'd be like uh he made like a dyspraxia fund and so every time I broke something and I just like felt like so stupid he'd be like it's fine it comes out of the dyspraxia fund you know like that and I think things like that just having kindness other people having kindness makes it so much easier and I think if people aren't being very nice or very understanding then um definitely um move away from those people and yeah. spend less time with those people as you said it's difficult it, if it's family I yeah, guess but yeah I suppose if you've got the people who are like a bit more kind and compassionate and supportive I guess then that's helpful to see the more when you get saved and laughing's off for them. Yeah, yeah, and you get less panicked and so you make yeah. less mistakes. It's a it's a weird it's a weird circle. Yeah, as I said, because like as I said with the panic, then it's like you know, like if you're more anxious or nervous, then of course things would be me able to meet more errors. And I as I said, if you've been more comfortable within yourself like like I am, then I'll, you know, like if you made some sort of error, you'll start to have a laugh of it as yeah. yeah and so would you think like being able to like find human and that it would you see that's part of like you say bringing to getting into comedy um yeah I think um I think it's it's been a really helpful thing with comedy in that you're so used to laughing at yourself from a young age I, I think there's quite a few dyspraxics that do comedy and um it's uh it's definitely like like I really recommend you know Don Biz was yeah yeah he's very funny and um I think um 
I think we just we just are good at seeing the funny side of things, and we also have a really tough skin, which is what you need for for things like that. To in order to kind of put yourself out there, you need to be able to laugh at yourself and yeah. fail. Yeah, I've seen laughed in autism. There's, there's quite a few people diverge and uh, people in mm. the comedy sector. And I'd say we have a in comedy. It does take a fixed skin, and you know, like something to be able to come. As you say, like off like certain like gigs, you know, like if you'd had when you know that didn't go that great, it takes a lot to come back from that and to be able to try uh, try and try it again and learn from that mistakes. I'd say that it does take something from in yourself. And uh, as I like think that it must take something to like put together so and like find like I'd say you you found out that you can be quite funny and then I'd say it's quite a big thing to translate being funny into, you know, like a whole co- comedy act and being a comedian. I think it, the key that I found is just doing it over and over and over again so that you, like, I'm naturally, I used to be, like, very shy when I was younger and it's definitely helped with that. Um, but it is one of those things, I think, where just the more you do it, the the easier it is and the more you become yourself on stage, I think, uh, that was the thing that I found harder uh, like to like now when gigs go well like I feel like my best self and often like I'll I'll knock something over or I'll, I'll like uh, but it's like it, it it's and it's slightly chaotic <laughs> like I get yeah. reviews and things saying that it's like kind of a, a chaotic fun um but um that's kind of it, I think lean into the things that um that make you you and um, yeah. try try to to keep just getting on stage until you feel like you're you're kind of the most you. Yeah, I see that. You know, like I could see like like that you lent into like different aspects of yourself, like many comedians do. You know, different parts of your identity and parts of who you are, and that's from what I've seen of watching you on the te- television on like eight out of ten cats this countdown to like the panel stand up sketch around. Recently saw you live in uh, Cardiff and down the yeah, Cardiff Bay when you were doing your, your latest stand up sketch. So, uh, no, what stand-up was it that sketch, you went to the wrong venue? Did you oh, go yeah. to the wrong? <laughs> yeah, oh, no, no, I went to the right one, but they booked for the wrong venue on the wrong date. Oh, like, no. Yeah, like, yeah, it was only on that night. And look, I was there. You know, I was people in, and I was thinking, oh, I. I was, you know, I was thinking that, oh, I have booked for the, you know, your act, so you so. And then the lady was like, oh, hold on, you kind of booked for Birmingham on, like, like oh. 7th of November. And I was just glad that, I was like, I wouldn't have to do that. But laughing at myself and, like, talked. But Lucy was, like, very great, you know, like, all oh, this, like space for like a table and you know guys sit down and Lisa was put good seats I could you know she and she let she let you yeah. just come in you didn't have yeah. to buy another ticket okay great great yeah yeah great stuff at the <laughs> club yeah yeah they're lovely there they're yeah. so nice um oh god yeah it's just things like that I think and I think yeah. when when you can have fun of it I think the times I found it hardest is when I have to like pretend that I'm really I, I when I was younger I definitely felt like I had to pretend to be really together and then yeah. it would like all come like tumbling out in like the worst ways and so just trying to be like oh well this yeah. is gonna happen you know now I, again I suppose I was the same when you know like it comes tumbling out when you're trying to you know like bring yourself like feel like you got yourself together I guess that that's all like probably when you did job interviews and you know like yeah. did the standard you know, like nine to five job and yeah, like in, so hard, like studying in university stuff like that. Yeah, I guess then we was real challenge when you're adult, in and then I guess when you like started doing something like comedy and something creative like that, I guess then you started being able to be natural self. That then, as you're saying, it's not like you're doing job interviews or like doing certain tasks where you're like. You know, booking in people with appointments or like doing any second to yeah. any office work. Then again, yeah, found the space where you can start to be yourself as you're saying. You'd be able to 
be some parties of on stage. Yeah, I think definitely. I, I feel very lucky in that. And I I think it's so it's so hard because to I really like I struggled to to get jobs and then I'd get a job and I just I would just never do very well at it. Um I uh like I worked in a bar and I just I flooded the basement once because I, I like and I like would break so many glasses and then I worked booking hospital appointments and I just I would get I wouldn't know how to use a fax machine and it just it just feels like so much pressure like having to do like regular tasks and so yeah. I do feel very lucky to have found a job where I can be myself and I, I hope and I think in a lot of jobs people in like 50 50 I think some people would just be like like kind and like see like have a sense of humor and be like nice about it but I think it's very yeah. hard if you're in an environment where where people get cross or like they're like yeah you have to pretend and then you're just like oh god this is so hard to to function with as you're saying after any like as you like doing like something like barbecue or waitressing as you're saying with like products for those simple tasks when you're like struggling not that and day-to-day basis as you're saying even though like some people can be quite kind and understand and then it's yes it's that struggle with it being day-to-day and you know like certain issues like that then can as I said earlier that certain struggles can then knock on your confidence yeah definitely I yeah. yeah I was a waitress and that was a disaster I once spilt soup all over this woman's head like a whole bowl of soup <laughs> it was like in the middle of the day and she was wearing this like light colored suit and she was like she was so covered in like green soup I can't even describe to you like through her hair and she like yelled at me and like which is fair enough you know like she was just minding her own business and she was covered it might have been hot and then I burst into tears and I ran into the kitchen and I just like I felt so bad but also like when people get cross it just makes it so, like you just feel so like stupid yeah. and then she ended up coming and having to apologize to me because she made me cry and I was like I think this is the wrong way around but my boss then he just didn't really he didn't really get it but it's fair enough I mean yeah. if you're being a waitress you, you don't yeah. <laughs> you need to be quite together yeah I know I mean yeah because it would be resting like this it's, hopefully it's just fat on any hot soup then yeah, yeah because, you shouldn't be around hot soup with the yeah. spikes here, I think, yeah. yeah. Because, like, I always find, you know, when you're in restaurants, so I wouldn't know, like, you know, when you see the people with the plates stacked up on, like, um, yes. on that stuff, I find, like, you know, it's, uh, you know, like, struggle of how, no, how you would know how to carry all that on your arms like that. So I guess with, with comedy then, I guess you found, you know, like, ways of, like, happy that you can do things in a way you want to and now having to do tasks that you know like you struggle and can find a way you're thriving. Yeah it's really it's really nice and um I I often feel yeah it, 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 especially when I, as I was really shy when I was younger it's really nice to feel like you can be yourself and be like liked for that like yeah. that, that feels really nice because it's not always been easy to feel like I can be myself or say what I think and comedy is all about saying what you think in the moment and being like like I, I think being like honest I think that's, that's where some of the best comedy comes from and that's not always come naturally and so it, it's really helped me be myself I think yeah I say like the others my favorite comedians who only wrote a and people mm. in the arts and I think it's a space in an area that uh, works best for new neurodivergent and people as I like you know, you would know there's a lot of people in comedy who have ADHD and stuff like that. Yeah, well I think and, that's why neurodivergent people are so good because they, they think differently to other yeah. people and so it's like in uh, we often have perspectives that other people are like have <laughs> it's not the normal thought we think of things like oddly yeah. and that's that's where comedy can come from yeah and as I was saying it's like that you can probably like feel a bit more control and have a bit more agency in a space and uh, like you know you can be able to write stuff and I think writing comedy and stuff like that is pretty important for of any neurodivergent people like as I found with you know yourself as that when they saw you on tv doing like Eight out of ten cats just count down. That like that was like one of the first times I seen 
like uh, the sparks you mentioned on TV. And then I think as a person who's dyspraxic or like a neurodivergent, it's very important to see like another neurodivergent yeah. person talk about on TV. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's good, and I think that um, it I I think if you can see someone, I don't know, it's like it's the same thing as like being like a uh, a woman in stand up, like it, it it's like seeing other women do it makes you think you can do it and makes you feel like things are possible. I think, and so I, I don't know. I think I, I like talking about it because I think if I if I I mean if I had known or people that might know that they're dyspraxic and they watch it they think oh I could do that you know that's probably a thing that would suit me doing comedy so I yeah. think it's helpful as you've seen about like women in comedy I guess when you like when you like started in comedy or before that I guess from what you like to uh, seen in comedy and like your favorite comedians or com- comedy shows but it been like like women that you may have related to or like found quite relatable and they think that's a very important thing in comedy that I think you more more feel naturally to to laugh and enjoy somebody you find to you can relate to in the comedy that you're speaking about as I think with comedy it's good space of finding somebody to relate to and feel less alone or a bit like yeah. a bit more happy and positive in yourself as you say with like dyspraxia sometimes you can find ways of finding women in in that but like. If you see another dyspraxic person on TV talking about it, having a bit of a laugh or that, you know, like, well, with it, then you can feel a bit more confident and less alone in yourself if you've got lack in that personal confidence. So yeah, I, guess, I think definitely. I think yeah. it can it can feel quite lonely, I think, um, when you are someone that, like, makes mistakes a lot. Um, yeah. you, you can be quite hard on yourself. And so I think seeing people speak about it that, are in I don't know like I, I think seeing anybody speak about it is, is a helpful thing because you think oh they can do that I can do that or or just be like oh that's um I'm not so weird after all you know yeah I, said, I mean people yeah. might see me and be like I don't want to be like her this, this is terrible <laughs> I'm just like her this is awful um but um but yeah I, I think yeah. I think it's helpful yeah it's definitely helpful as you say you know it's just like it's just when we of like as you say, you bring a bit of laughter and bit of joy in the day, and that that's purpose comedy. And so when you're starting in comedy, would you find the people that you influenced you and influenced your comedy? Um, so one of my biggest um inspirations was um Catherine Ryan. Um, I am um, I opened for her on tour like quite early on in my um in my career, and I mean she is like a very together like um she's almost kind of like a perfect person I think so she's quite different to me in that um she is like very together and she kind of always like knows her own mind and she's like she's she's so brilliant but she was so like generous and kind and I learned so much from watching her because she'd she'd be so funny but then also she um she was so like um thoughtful and generous to everybody around her um and um she yeah, she was just like constantly so funny. And then other comics I love, I loved um, Maria Bamford. Um, I think that she is um, uh, somebody that is so honest about all her difficulties and she is so unique and so herself on stage. Um, and she speaks about things that, I, I love watching comics that talk about things that are uh, very um, truthful and maybe uh, quite things that are not, often spoken about and making it funny and then therefore making people feel less alone and she is so brilliant at being so unique and making kind of the hardest subject matters so funny. As well as what type of themes does she touch on in her comedy then? So she talks about um, mental illness um, quite a lot and she's had um, uh, quite a few struggles and so she talks about um, she talks about that a lot and um she's also recently started talking about um uh her mum's death um and it's so sad like her mum was like included in a lot of her comedy so I think the audience kind of feels like they know her a bit um but she's talking about something that's so hard to speak about but also being so funny at the same time Uh, uh, it kind of takes quite a skill and talent to find a way of you know telling that in the universe and getting the tone right 
and I was just saying it's important to you know address these themes and like you know like talk of thing things as you say that can be quite difficult to talk about when there's space of comedy about sometimes it's not like um, it's more easier space in a way to uh, talk about it and you know kind of feel comforted from that conversation yeah absolutely like did she did you know as you say can them speak honestly about themselves and being quite authentic on their own life experience has influenced some of the themes and stuff you talked about in your own comedy yeah definitely I think when I started I was um I was quite dark maybe in my comedy but that felt very normal I think because those were the thoughts I was having and also I was working in this job where I had to um type up the news and I was just listening to the news all through the day and so it felt normal to talk about those those kind of things um but um but yeah I think I I you always want to try and be um interesting and say things that people haven't said before um so talk but I think the most important thing is just to say things that you think are funny like if, yeah. if, if you can make yourself laugh then that's the the key yeah uh, as you can say, it's like from that, you know, like we're trying again, that you find ways of like making it work time and time again. And as you said, like when you start out, yeah, I know that was like over, I think over 10 years ago then. I think something would be when do you kind of start out in comedy? Yeah, so I started like over 10 years ago. And I think one of the things that it just, I, I, especially doing my tour show, I have so much fun. Like I, I really, it, it makes me feel really nice when people laugh and they connect to what you're saying and I can be silly and I think say what I, what I think and it, it, it can be really fun. And I really feel like myself, I think I, I used to find it very difficult to talk to people and um, connect and so when people are laughing at things that I say, it feels really good. So I think that's why it's so nice to keep doing it because yeah. it's I just fun. say, you know, like even if you're having the, have started off by not having the best of yourself, then I guess when you get out on stage, start yeah. doing new comedy, then, you know, like making laugh, uh, people laugh and seeing, you know, people laughing, then I guess that helps you know your mood and you'll boost your own confidence then yeah definitely. Uh, yeah because like I know at least know you'll be like since then you, when you started to career you like you've done different stuff wherever I'll be on radio and then you like as I said you've done stuff like I don't have 10 capsules countdown and managed to like touch on by different themes in the comedy as I say recently you talked about being a mother references to like stuff from your childhood and to like, you know, like press and like body image of women in society. And as I said earlier on, you just spoke back to as well in comedy. Seen that before in sketches, like when I saw you on the stand-up sketch show and you acted out uh, some uh, segment from your uh, diagnosis. You remember what's that? And like saying that you when you were again diagnosed, you got you tripped over a bowl. <laughs> yeah. So in the in the joke, I say that the um the professor walked in and I had my foot stuck in a bowl. But it actually happened when I was on the phone doing an over the phone diagnosis. Um, I got so panicked and I was just walking. I was like pacing in the living room and then I got my foot in this bowl that was on the ground and it got stuck on my foot. And then I was saying, "Sorry, just give me one moment while I just get this bowl off of my foot." And then he was. <laughs> I think you have dyspraxia. I think uh, you don't need to do this test um, because somehow I'd got my foot stuck in a bowl while just talking to the guy. And yeah, so um, so yeah, that was a bit of my stand up for a while. Yeah, yeah, I could see that stand up from that TV show when you, yeah, I could tell that one of the key things you were with, uh, including your stand up banner, as I said, you've been on eight out of 10 cats, uh, and that was the first place I saw you. Uh, and you then on that, you did. Stuff of like Alan Carr to you know uh, Son Lock, and so what was your experience of working in, on with comedians on shows like that? 
it's really nice. I think that it's like, it's really intimidating because these are like the best people in the world at comedy. Like Sean Locke is one of the, and Alan Carr, I mean, they're just the, they're just the yeah. best. And so you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, nobody wants to hear from me. Like these are the best people in the world. And so it, it, it's hard to kind of keep uh, talking and being involved. But um, I think the more you do, the more fun you have and the, uh, the more the more you get involved the more you're kind of um uh the more you enjoy it but sometimes yeah. you just sit back and you're like this is so funny this is so brilliant and then you're like wait i'm here too <laughs> so it's yeah. uh, but it's, it's very fun i can imagine it must be quite different going from like as you like performing on stage you know like doing stand-up shows then being like in a tv studio with as you say you're like comedians that you watched before on TV yeah. web and like live in Apollo and then you know being in the same space and you know and like bouncing off jokes from each other then yeah it's really nice I think stand up it, it like generally with gigs like there's a real camaraderie like you go through something together with the other comics but a lot of the time it is a very kind of individual thing like you're working on your act alone like it's just you on stage at the time and so it is really nice to do things with other people and kind of bounce off other people that have similar brains to you. It's um, it, it's very fun. Yeah, I yeah could tell like the fun enjoyment from as I said, what and stuff like eight out to ten cats. And as I said, being able to see comedians like Tarlock, who I really enjoyed on the show, you know, doing yeah. like the where you know when you are different items, you know, bringing them onto the show. And yeah, you know, and as you say that. You know, like about the natural sense of word, dyspraxia. I could see that on the show, and you know, like yeah, the kind of natural sense of word that you bounce off the different, you know, people on the show. And I guess probably like must be like something maybe helpful in your career, being able to work with like every comic long established to get that confidence or get better advice or you know, like talk to them about their career or like about their comedy as well yeah exactly and I think that when someone like Sean Locke laughs like that's the best feeling in the whole world yeah. so uh that uh that definitely uh that definitely makes you feel good but um yeah I was saying like that definitely that's good and say you know like you'd you'd been there at it for uh many years doing a stand-up and then towards uh, several shows including going to like places like the Edinburgh Friends like done stuff like you know like TV shows with and I know you've done when with yourself and your husband on getting married and yeah different stuff like um yeah it's been really fun doing lots of like different things I think it's um it's uh that's the amazing thing with doing comedy all these random things come off it you know like I think yeah that's I always try and think like the stand-up is like the day job like you go back to that but there's all these fun things that can come off it yeah yeah because I like you know I often pointed to end up doing a podcast yourself anyway like I listened to that one before and like you did it uh, called Where's Harriet Crane so like tell a bit about the podcast I used to do called Where's Harriet Crane and you know like I I burn Buffy and you know like struggles with like anxiety and that can be related to dyspraxia and like a recurring thing. So what do you think was the origin of like starting the podcast with that title? Um yeah, so I did it with um uh one of my favorite people, Sunil Patel, who's a very funny comedian. I recommend um checking him out. Um he is very uh, together, quite serious. Uh, he hasn't cried since he was seven and tripped over a dog. Whereas I <laughs> live in chaos, especially at the time, I think, like when we started it, like I think I might have just got my diagnosis or, um, and uh, I was just, would get overwhelmed and flustered and just cry very often. And so each week there was the idea that we'd talk about a time that I cried and I would try and make Sunil feel something and it would never happen. Um, and it was just like, it was kind of like a mental health podcast, like in a way, but it was very um, silly and very light. And we'd get 
people on and talk about times that they also had um had cried about something stupid like I, I just kind of wanted to make fun of it because I think if you can laugh at, at these moments, then yeah. it makes it so much easier not to take things too seriously. As you said, you know, like, like it, it felt it was more like a comedy podcast and mental health, as you say, like yeah. it, you know, like that's all moments of like, I'd say again, pretty overwhelmed or emotional, but I'd say like it was very much for the comedy factor as like the, there would be like the point in each episode where you would find like a random new story or like random video where you would read off to Sunil about like certain things that you thought was a sad story and try to make him like play on, on a podcast. And he'd just get angry. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah as I said, like listen to her, I thought like say something that you probably when you read up about dyspraxia, like you see the link with like I've been feeling getting very emotional like and empathetic over stuff. So do you feel that some like some of that does relate to being dyspraxic? Yeah, I think so. I think um uh I, I would just get very overwhelmed and very anxious because I would be so worried about making a mistake or doing the wrong thing. I think you can get all these like um things in your head. Like I definitely like I think because as well, like I'd sometimes say the wrong thing or misunderstand something and respond wrong and then uh I worry that I'd upset people and so I'd have to go through everything in my head before I said it out loud or I'd have to think everything through like so much in ahead of time so that I wouldn't make a mistake and then when you do make a mistake it's just like it's just exhausting um and um so yeah it I, I think definitely talking about it and laughing at it helps yeah, I suppose highlighted on something like that is uh, one thing that's when people hear about dyspraxia and like the general definition of it. Because, like, as you say, normally, like, people think of the practical clumsiness, they're a bit like messy with things in order. Then, as you're saying that, you like had to think about like certain things as you were saying of that, you know. And I guess it's when those like traits that maybe some people wouldn't know or understand. and think of being dyspraxic and like something that can like you know an overlink and be envelops of other neurodivergent conditions and like yeah. as I say some being autistic some t- like with some of that can relate and I say like there's some things that you look on of neurodivergent conditions and you do see similarities there yeah, definitely. I think that um it, it's definitely a spectrum and I definitely have yeah. things like um I don't like changed very much and um so sometimes I can find that very um overwhelming and I don't always yeah know the the right thing to do um and so that can feel um that can feel bad um and so um and so yeah I, I think it's all it's all it's all quite related I think yeah. as you were saying like with chains not knowing the right thing to uh, then it's <laughs> that was a dyspraxic moment. Aaron yeah. just threw his pen over his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I was saying, you know, it's like, you know, like you kind of got, like, if you already planned things ahead in your brain, and then, the, and you know, like you, you know, things around, then it gets, then you said, we're going to go be working with your own internal way of planning things, and they can work around that. So I guess, so it makes up like open mechanisms, I guess. Then that can be like a struggle with the dyspraxia. Then, yeah, definitely. I think, I think definitely, and I think that it, it's just everything can add up. You know, like it sounds like silly things to people. You're like, oh, I, I spilt something down my top. But then if you're going somewhere like important and you have to look together, and then you're very scruffy, and then you can't find something and then you leave late and then you go the wrong way and then you like just like fall in a puddle like it's just all these things add up and then you just think why am I not like a together person and you turn up and you've forgotten something or or you say the wrong thing and it it just like you just it can affect your self-esteem I think and that affects your like anxiety and yeah I said it can affect your self-esteem and it can affect like how you feel it like independence and stuff like that and you're like I was just saying like if you're like you know like struggling to know like sense directions and remembering certain things it's then mixed out I guess to do training things and go new places then 
as you said, to that, and that's important of overtime learning. I always go up in mechanisms and having plans in places, assume that if you were to go to a new place, then you would like look it up on like Google Maps or whatever. It can just make your day sometimes like 15% better and it can stop that like um that turn in your day when just everything <laughs> goes yeah. to shit and it's just uh, madness. Yeah, because like there's that time, even though like if you've been that way before to that place, then it's like sometimes, uh, you know, with the dyspraxia, then you can remember things once, but like then again on one day, you know, like you kind of like forget certain things. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, as I was saying, I'm talking about like the, uh, like, uh, uh, self esteem and the confidence with dyspraxia. And as I said, the anxiety. So, what has been your experience with mental health? And have you found like with like, like certain struggles on like end diagnosed later on life that you found that, you know, you, you had to like try like therapy and like certain therapies help you? Yeah, I um I think I I thought when I found out I'd be like so happy uh when I first when I first read about it and I started crying and I was like oh my god this is so much like me and I thought oh if I get diagnosed with this I'll feel so happy because I'll feel so um uh so pleased to understand myself and to have like a reason and then actually I felt when I did get diagnosed I felt really sad and uh, like a bit a, a bit like wistful for the time that I hadn't known and that I just kind of had been so hard on myself and I just felt like I'd like made so many mistakes and just no one had known why and I just had looked like such an idiot like I just was hard on myself and so one of the therapy I've I've done a lot of therapy but I think the thing that helped me the most was this therapy called um, DBT and it's not necessarily for dyspraxics but I think one of the things that's good about it is that it's not just kind of going through all your all your thinking and the things that have happened and like your life it's giving you like tools which I think are, are, are some of the most helpful things for dyspraxia like of in this moment if you do this thing um I I have uh, uh had PTSD before and it really helped with that as well um and also just times when I would get a bit panicky of just things to do in that moment that rather than lean into it and you become more panicked and you go down a spiral you do actions like you just put cold water on your wrist and you um, take a series of breaths and you have a sweet that you like and you um, go for a walk or you just like little things like that that just help you have tools to um, help yourself rather than just not knowing what to do when you start to panic. Yeah, as you said, that sounds really helpful for yourself, you know, and something that will would be really helpful for somebody like myself or like any other dyspraxic so people who are, as you said, struggling with anxiety and, like, self-esteem and confidence. Yeah. And as you say, in that, like, probably when you got diagnosed, then it's, like, probably, as you said, that you found, like, ways of, like, finding, like, light laughed over the years and, like, way of getting, you know, like, parents, like, understanding. And as you said, your, your teachers went to, like, shout at you or angry with you. But, like, said you could... Uh, you know, like skip doing her homework, but like some things, as I said, you affects your confidence. And I guess, you, like, you had that moment of mixed emotions because you're like, I guess you felt like a bit like a random big grief, then not like not having that diagnosis be, before in time. And I can understand how not having a diagnosis of a neurodivergent condition, as I said, was it CB? Uh, CPTSD was it? It's um, not CBT. It's actually um, dialectical by behavioural therapy. Yeah. So it's called DBT. Yeah. Um, and um, I, yeah, I, re I really recommend it to everybody. Yeah, yeah, I said that because that can uh, uh, help with the, uh, you know, like certain, yeah, you know, uh, as I said, seem to have panic attacks. And is it that you said you're having panic attacks and could help yourself with that? Exactly, that's it. it. It's just learning how to help yourself yeah. and then learning how to not get in that place in the yeah. first place where you can you can look at your thoughts and be more um, more practical. So, yeah, I yeah. really recommend it. And I guess you've come to mental health approved a lot then from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. I I think dyspraxics are, um, uh, are just like, uh, we're a bit different, but I think 
lean into that and try and embrace it um, and um, try and have fun with it. I know it it can be really hard, but um, but actually it's kind of, it's a really cool thing that can mean that you have a lot of like really good things that other people don't have. And um, yeah, I, I think reading about it and understanding it really helps and trying to put in routines because I think the, the more routine that you have, the easier it is to automatically do things rather than automatically yeah. do the the worst thing. It's trying to, and it will, everything will take you longer and just try and be kind to yourself. It, it, it's hard enough, you know. Do you remember the tables of the box that you were reading and throughout again that they ignored? I'm trying to think. I, I read a lot anyone. of books about it. I met one of the authors, actually. I did um, the dyspraxia conference thing and um i met one of the janet i think janet something um hang on let me have a look at the dyspraxia books i have in my life seen the time oh, i to put my right, yeah. baby to bed and um, but yes the books uh, that i that i read were um yeah janet taylor i think is who, who i met who's um, yeah. written about it quite a lot so dyspraxic adults surviving in a non-dyspraxic world yeah living with dyspraxia caged in chaos by victoria biggs Another book I found quite helpful. I, I haven't finished it. I've only read a chapter, but is yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm starting to read it. But Atomic Habits, I think that might be quite a, a good book for learning how to kind of get into. Excellent. Things. And as I said, we wrapping up the podcast. So, is there anything you want to plug and promote at the end? Um, well, I'm going to be filming my um, stand-up show, and um, uh, it's kind of an amalgamation of my last show, Slutty Joan, and my new show, Honeysuckle Island. Um, and so I'm doing like a uh, a kind of best of those shows um which I'm going to be filming I think the 6th and 7th the 6th or 7th of March it's not confirmed yet but um I'll put about it on my Instagram so my Instagram's at Harriet Kemsley um or the same on Twitter um, and so I'll, I'll I'll write when I'm doing that so it'd be great to have people come and watch or if not it will be available um online at some point afterwards excellent fans Anyway, and also, like, tend to, like, if you've got enough time, tend to ask any guests, like, anyone would, one thing would make uh, the world be, be better for any would divergent person, any, like, think thoughts on that? Like, I, anything better? To make things better. I think um, uh, teleporting. Um, I think that would be a really helpful thing and then yeah. we don't have to get on a bus or or uh, have to work out where we're going. I think if we could just teleport, that would really yeah. make life much easier. Okay, teleportation, that's the thing. <laughs> if yeah. someone can invent that, please, that would yeah. really help. Yeah, it would be quite handy and convenient. Yeah. You know, yeah, easier than taking a bus, yeah. Thanks you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks Harriet. so much, Aaron. Yeah. Nice to chat to yeah, you. Yeah, thanks you very much, yeah. I'll just stop the record and uh, let's hang on. Yeah, that's.